You're listening to The Plate Up, a podcast for the food and beverage world from restaurants to bars, hotels and travel. My name is Hasham Pires and I'm the Corporate Executive Chef for Banyan Tree Hotels and Resorts. And I'm joined by my F&B counterpart, Sebastian Divaskaya, F&B Director at the one and only hotel in Mexico. And over the next hour, we are hoping to tackle some of the hottest topics in F&B, share some stories, go through our process, talk about the lessons we've learned and how to untangle some of the complexities in this industry. stand so it can just stay there without falling every five seconds okay 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 well good evening sebastian good evening hashan how are you i'm great how are you you i'm good uh you bought a KitchenAid. i mean we had this random conversation i didn't want to have the conversation because i said let's save it for the podcast mm-hmm. so you bought a KitchenAid. we bought a KitchenAid. We bought a, a standing mixer with a oh. tilting head. The 100-year anniversary collection. Okay, so mine's also the 100-year anniversary collection. We bought a ice blue matte color. It's the 4.7-liter bowl. And so from my understanding, I have learned this at the shop. The You have two lines for KitchenAid. So you have the classic, no, you have three lines. You have the classic, the artisan, and the pro. And so the classic is the smallest one, which is the 4.3 liters or 4.3 cups. Um, And then the artisan series has a slightly bigger motor. It's 50 watts bigger. And that's a 4.7. And then you have the pro, which can, they have different sizes. So do you have the one where the the unit kind of yes, does that? So it's the tilting head. It's not the, uh, uh, the attached the, the, the attached one. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, good. Good. I have yeah. the attached bowl. Um, I think I may have the pro, but then, yeah, they're all pretty. You know what's terrible? You know what you should buy? The whisk attachments. Buy a few of the whisk attachments because so they the, break. It came with me. three. It came with three, three as, as defaults. Ah, you, you get the, the paddle? The paddle, the whisk, and the hook. The hook, right, yeah. Actually, um, the paddle is very underrated. Huh? So tell me about the paddle. Instruct me. So, so you got, I mean, okay, the hook is for the dough, right? Yes. Let me tell you something. You have people out there that tell you, Oh, start by you got to, you know, you do the hook and then you still need to need it. It's nonsense. Nonsense. You just use the hook. All right. There is no need to use a hook and then do manual labor. I think these people do the hook and the manual labor, just say they can feel good about themselves and say, well, I also need it with my hand. Right. Because realistically, Five minutes of hook is about half an hour of no needing saved. So there's nothing more you're going to add by just giving it a little need. So just use the hook. Okay. The paddle is pretty much well. Okay, pastry chefs are probably you know they you know they're a bit finicky about these things, right? The whisk is really for aerating. So if you're going to try and push a lot of air, yes, you use the whisk, right? If you're trying but, to do a meringue or if you're trying to do egg whites. 
it's the same. <laughs> yeah, no, well, meringue, meringue is sugar. Come on. Okay, all right, okay. Then what yeah, are you whipping egg whites for? Yeah, you can make it for your whiskey salad in your kitchen. It. <laughs> what are you talking uh, about? <laughs> um, the, uh, what you can do, however, is, uh, well, you forgot whipped cream. Right? Yes, oh, so fair enough. <laughs> Like what everyone uses it for. Right? Why start with the obvious, Hishan? This is not what we're all about. That's true. Um, about but for mixing, so mm -hmm. like let's say you're mixing cake or um, let's say you're trying to mix chocolate, like a, a melting chocolate or something. Yes. You don't want to put so much air in there. Like a no, the, that's where the paddle cam comes in. That's where the paddle comes in. Like if you're mixing a batter, right, the paddle is a lot better. And also... It's not so um, – it, it can take a bit of punishment, you know. So you can put some heavy-duty things in, like, you know, big chocolate chips. And the whisk, it's a bit fragile, especially this unit, right, these KitchenAid ones, right? Um, they usually – they sell you the more – the powerful motors, but then they don't sell you the power – there's actually proper pro whisks. Mm, um, they're thicker – yeah, yeah, but they don't always sell you the pro whisk with the um, with the unit. No, I don't what believe it comes as a default. A handy thing to buy is this little shoot. I have the shoot. Oh, you have the shoot. It comes with the shoot. It's a it's a half moon. It's a plastic cover. It's a splash guard, and it's a it's a funnel at the same time. I, I don't understand. No one like it is humanly impossible to pour anything into there, like flour, sugar, without getting a little bit on, this, on your bench, without this shoot. Well, that. And also, if you have the smart idea of breaking your eggs directly into your bowl, no, well, you, you, know what, you know what happens. <laughs> I mean, listen, being as qualified as I am, I don't even take that risk. Exactly. <laughs> Right. I always break them. Break your eggs into a different bowl. All right. Don't and do no. unless you are. You know, it's like it's literally your. It's it's Russian roulette. Not even. Right. Why egg, would you risk egg. it? Exactly. Because once eggshell goes in there, it's gone. It. It's okay to do when the mixer's not mixing. Some people are so hardcore. I mean, these are the full Russian roulette dudes. They crack their eggs in straight while the mix is going in. So if the shell goes in, the shell goes in. <laughs> That's it. It stays with you forever. Exactly. So these these guys are the 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 true the true uh you know the dudes that are really taking those big risks. But um you'll love it. You'll love it. I use it a lot. We have a Chevy red one. So Okay. Um, you got the OG yeah. one. The OG. I mean I couldn't help myself. The... Um, I remember the Yeah. I'm planning to do a tiramisu this weekend, so that will be the first one. I got the the, the recipe from Cinzia Mascarello. She's the wife of. Do you remember this um, Italian pasta event we did at Mohanakon Sky Bar? Did I speak to you about this? You did speak to me about it, but I didn't. I wasn't invited. Okay, so it's um, moving forward. We <laughs> It was on 16th of January, 2020, if I believe so. Okay. 
Um, so Cinzia and her husband, his name is Luca Fassone. Uh, he's an Italian chef and he's the chef of a restaurant called L'Angolo di Rossina in uh, Piedmont, in Italy. Uh, Piedmont? Yes. In Italy. Let's just make sure everyone understands that's Italy, not in Sydney. Okay. Italy. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, he's, he's an, an amazing chef. He cooks uh, traditional recipes from up there. And his uh, pasta, his, his specialty pasta is the tallarine. The tallarine is a smaller tagliatelle. And um, what is quite particular about that is that in the north of Italy, they use soft flour compared to hard flour. And they don't put uh, water. So he only uses egg yolks. So it's only egg yolks and flour. So his his uh, his pastas, his tallarine are very very tasty, and um, so I'm, I'm always in contact with his wife because she also cooks and she she actually manages the the restaurant. So they're the two of them. It's a small restaurant, and she sent me the recipe of the traditional tiramisu. So I'm gonna try that on the KitchenAid. And speaking of which, I we have also bought the three pasta attachments. Oh really? Yes, and I bought a oh. food processor and a hand mixer. I For went that. Uh, no, 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 just a separate, you know, a bar mix. Okay, uh, okay, okay, okay. Ah, okay. Now, you bought a bar mix. Uh, well, the KitchenAid version of it, because bar mix is like uh, the OG of hand. It's the OG. Yeah, <laughs> that's the real one. That's the real one. Unless well, you, I mean, the real one for domestic use. I mean, <laughs> no one uses a bar mix in, um, in in commercial kitchens. So you always have the RoboCoop version. Yes. But, uh, for but home, even though, even then, you would have, I mean, I've heard many chefs speaking of that particular tool. Instead of saying, pass me the hand mixer, they would say, pass me the bar mix. Oh, yeah. It's like everyone says, pass me the glad wrap, which is saran wrap, right? Um, but it's saran wrap, but it's, uh, it, do you know it to be glad wrap or no? What do you know it to be? Cling wrap? Uh, yeah, cling wrap, cling peel. Okay. So in Australia, it's called glad wrap because it's made by a company called glad. Yeah. <laughs> right? So everyone calls it the glad wrap. And I actually didn't know what else you called it until, uh, you know, you're, oh, okay. It's called, you know, cling wrap or saran wrap, um, or plastic wrap. Um. Yeah. So these items that just have their own, you know, RoboCoop. Uh. Uh. What? what uh. Hamilton. Uh. Bar, what's it? Hamilton, Hamilton Beach. Yeah. yeah. The blenders. You know the bar blenders. Yeah. So they're, they're pretty Beach. iconic. Yep. 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 I mean, they they're companies that just they people just they're the ones that you go to. Um. Now today I was going to ask you. Uh, a lot of young chefs, young, 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 young waiters are now maybe looking at getting outside of their own countries and thinking about, you know, doing that first tour of duty, I call it, right? So, um, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I've only done three, really. I did Vietnam, Seychelles and Thailand, mm-hmm. you've done how many countries now? Four, five? Uh, Morocco, UAE, Thailand, Vietnam, Vietnam Mexico. Well, I mean, but also, you've also done 
a few stints here and there in China. I've also done some yeah, support no, but, in China. Okay, yeah, but yeah. that pure pure ten years, you mean? Yeah. So I mean, uh, like proper contracts. Mm. Um, and I won't. I'm in Australia because that's the base. But that's you know. What do you tell that young chef or waiter mm-hmm. or F&B manager now? Look, considering leaving their comfort zone and looking to go into a different country, what do you tell them? I think the first thing I would say is don't export your culture. Don't bring your culture with you. And when I say that, I mean, don't arrive in a new country expecting everything to be the way it's back home. Because from that point onward, depending on your mindset, you're going to have a great time or you're going to have a terrible time. Because one of the things we learn, I've learned, but I'm sure you've learned the same thing, is that at the end of the day, things get done. They just get done in a very different manner. <laughs> and as, as young, I was my first real job outside of a, of, an, of, of a training was a restaurant supervisor. And um, obviously being a restaurant supervisor in the UAE is very different um, to the way you do things in Morocco or in France or, or what you've learned at school or what you've learned with your upbringing. And if you expect everyone, the problem is that people do the top to bottom approach. And so they look at themselves and they say, well, I do things a certain way and I believe this is the right way. Why is everyone else not doing things the same way? And when people do things the, another way, you automatically dismiss it as being second rate or inferior or not good enough. Um, but that only creates frustrations. You can't change everyone around you. You have to change yourself. You have to adapt and you have to, to understand why people do things differently. And you, instead of you pressuring them down, you should go to their level and see where they're coming from and then build them up to where you want them to go. Because otherwise, you're going you're gonna to have a terrible time. They will res- your team will resent you. And I'm speaking in the case you are in a supervisory position or, or, or you have a, a team to lead. And that could be from restaurant supervisor to assistant restaurant manager to restaurant manager to all of these positions. But even if we're talking about the junior position like a supervisor, um, you're going to have a terrible time with your team if you expect you have very high standards because of what you've learned at school. And all of a sudden you have a team who have not come to the same school as you have. And you might have uh, 30 different nationalities in a single team and they all have different backgrounds and different understandings and understandings on how to do things. And if you are just frustrated because they don't do things the way you want them to do, they will never, they will never understand. But if you take the time to watch and observe and teach and train and coach, then you can go from their level up or from their understanding up. So that's, I think, is for me the most important lesson. From that point onwards, you can do everything. Yep, I think that's a extremely good point. I think um, when you talk about school, ed- educational levels is probably mm. a very important thing to understand. Um, you know, some people may be higher, much higher educated than you. Some people may be le- le- less educated than you. And to 
um, expect things to be the same way they were where you came from or where you worked before or uh, what you're more comfortable with is um, very naive. That being said, that being said, there is an expectation that you're also there to bring some of that uh, mentality and thought process and work, work process into that operation. So True. you shouldn't True. just say, well, you know what, this is how they do it. I'll just also do it the same way. That doesn't necessarily, that's not what, you know, people don't employ expat chefs, waiters, restaurant managers, because they just want someone to work just like the way, the same way the the local team works. They mm -hmm. want you to bring your expertise. But that also doesn't mean you just completely um, try and assimilate your style and expect that's the only style that should work. Because realistically, there are um, there are pros and cons to both sides, right? And you know, you're, I've always lived by this philosophy, and this is something I've said many times. As an expat chef, we're there to bring the local workforce up to an international level or the level that I come from, right? The, the, the whole goal is for you to teach them mm -hmm. because eventually you want them to not be at um, – you don't want them to be only relying on expat chefs 10, 20, 30 years down the track. You want to build – that you know, you want that country to build their own executive chefs, bring their own F and B managers, their own waiting staff, um, and and that's what your your goal is. You're not there to just suddenly say, "Well, I uh, I I, uh, I do my thing and that's it." Absolutely. The um, sentence I always tell all of my team members whenever I start working with them, uh, when we start working together, is, "I am here on a two-year contract." Because that's usually the length of your international contracts. Exactly. Of course, they're renewable, but I'm here on the two-year contract. So my time here is temporary, but you guys are from here. And that was true when I was in Vietnam and when I, when I was in, uh, in Thailand and here in Mexico. Obviously, in the UAE, you have a much more diverse workforce, but still, they are from where they are. So I say, I'm, I mean, my time here is temporary. My job is to teach you as much as I can so that when I leave, one of you can take my place, wherever that may be, in this property or in another property. But my job is to, to teach you as much as I can, to share all of my knowledge and my, uh, my experience so that you can become the next F&B director, F&B manager, restaurant manager, um, wherever you want to be. And that's, that's really, it should be your mindset. And it's a very, I'm very happy that you bring this also because there's a thing that happens in our industry where, I mean, the, the hospitality industry in general rewards hard workers. It rewards people who put their head down and do the job and get results. Our, our industry is somewhere that when you do something good, you get an immediate positive response. And if you do something wrong, you get an, imme an immediate uh, wrong response. So if it is still an industry where you can start as a bellman and if you work really hard in 10, 15, 20 years, you can become a general manager. It's entirely possible. Um, it, and it's really based on merit. 
So people need to, but then it also creates the, the negative effect with a lot of expats. And I think it happens more for expats where you do two year contracts one after the other and you do two years here, two years in China, then two years in Thailand, then two years in, in, in Indonesia and then two years in Japan perhaps and then two years here. Two years. And usually you go with a, with a promotion. And it's this, this career path, right, that puts you in, in a mentality where you're like, okay, what's the next position? How fast can I grow? And I want to get promoted. I want to grow. I want to grow. And then that is your target. It's not your team anymore. It's you yourself. And you know that you're somewhere for two years only, and then you're going to move on. So why invest in the people? Why invest my time? I just need to do the right moves, say the right things so that... I have noticed and that someone hopefully at corporate office thinks of me next time a position opens with a promotion. So that's a really, that, that happens a lot. I don't know what's your experience on this, but I see this a lot. Yeah, I look, I think um, I agree with you. You do see that a lot. And I think where people fall into this trap is yeah. um, I'm an expat. And I really dislike hanging out with only other expats. Absolutely. Right? And while you're there, the whole, like, if, I mean, and you see it more and more. You just see to, more to do a, dis yeah. a disclaimer, sorry to cut you off, but it's just that we're speaking about experience, A, because we've lived it. And we've always moved in, in countries um, where we were there and we were able to bring something new on the table. We, and we didn't work in, in Europe or in, in the US where the level of education is much higher in average, right? Mm. I just want to make that clear. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, where we come no, you, from. You, yeah, you, you see it especially in some of these big expat-driven countries. Well, not driven, but, you know, we have huge expat communities like mm -hmm. um, Singapore. Yes. Right? Uh, you do see a little bit of it in Thailand. You do see a little bit of it in Thailand. Um, even in Vietnam, you see it, right? Where the, all the expats do is just hang out with other expats. When I was in Seychelles, a lot. You just see the expats. They're all at the exact same bars. They're all at the exact same places. Um, and it, and it's, I, I just kind of think what, you know, and, and, you know, the worst thing these expats do, all they do is just badmouth the country. Right, mm. or just say how bad the location is, and and I don't see the point of that. Right, it, it, I don't see the point of going somewhere else and just sitting there, um, bad mouthing the local culture or the way the locals work because that's you're you're the visitor, right? You're the outsider. You're a guest. You're the guest. So you know if you don't, and I, it comes back to what you said at the start. Don't export your culture. Don't say, why don't they do this like this? Because it's not how they do it, you know. One thing that bothers me a lot, and I keep on reading it in Australian news, where I keep on reading these, wet markets should not be open, right? Ban all wet markets. And I sit there going, it's just very a, a very um, deceptive title because when you say ban all wet markets the thing is wet markets that have got all this bad press are the wildlife wet markets yes. right, in china or well wildlife wet markets in general right 
But we've spoke about this a long time ago. A wet market is where you do your groceries. Like that's where yeah. you go and buy your vegetables, why you buy where you buy your fish. It's exactly the same as any other country. Like when you go to these fresh food markets and you see it in France, you see it in Australia. Mm. We have a big one in Melbourne called Victoria Market, right? That's a wet market. We don't call it a wet market in Australia because that's not a terminology we use, right? But it's a wet market. It, in, in France, these you know markets you see on the road, that's a wet market, right? Um, it's just a name that someone gave to a market. And, it, and you know, people without knowing other countries' cultures, so, you know, you have wet markets in Singapore, you see them in Malaysia, you see them in Thailand, right? And they're not what you perceive to be that you know wet markets don't sell animals and crocodiles and snakes and you know oh. and sasquatches they don't right they 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 sell fruit vegetables herbs you go and buy your eggs there and it's just it's like a farmer's market exactly. um and 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 because of that you have you know, you're you're sending out the wrong message and it's the same thing here because you have a lot of expats that don't go to wet markets they refuse to go like, oh, it smells or, you know, I can't. Yes, it may not look like the same market that you see in France where the farmer brings his, well, it's not even a farmer. It's probably some company. They bring some tomato boxes and vegetable boxes. They set it up nice and neat, right? You know, make you feel like, oh, have a look at this straight from the farm. Probably not. They probably bought it from another wholesaler like everybody else, right? Here, you don't have that because it's not important. You know, you don't need to set up beautifully in a, you know, in a box style because that's why you have these other supermarkets here that do that and charge you three times, four times the price just so mm. you can feel good about doing this kind of shopping. Right? And have AC. And have AC, <laughs> exactly. Um, but, it is, you know, like here, you want to buy your prawns, you get a pair of tongs or as some of the locals do it, just use their hands and pick out prawns for it in the basket you give to the lady and then she weighs it for you. And then you wash your hands in a little bucket of water, right? Um, where Or you can go to the market, uh, supermarket, and you can get the guy behind the counter to do it for you just so when you come home, you can do the exact same touching of the prawns. It doesn't matter, you know? But people have you know especially expats and you know people when they travel and i guess it's a bit different for us in our industry because we are food and beverage people we're kind of we're always trying to discover that ingredient and how the locals do things and you know we go to those local cafes and we'll sit there and eat that because you know it's part of what we what we do but there's a lot of people that just don't you know they're just they kind of say well it's smelly or it's not the way we do it back home and it's just a very uh, immature attitude to have. It's it's two ways of seeing the same thing. And one is seeing the difference as an inconvenience and the other one is seeing the difference as an advantage. Yep. yep and yep. as you said, if you're going to be for two years in a foreign country, well, you have two years to, for me, you have two years to learn as much as you can from the language, from the culture, the food, the people, their habits, and you will be a, a better person at the end of it and a, and a more enriched exactly. person. At least that's my belief. Exactly. But if you if you, if you go to a country for two years and you are looking at your, the dates every day because you're waiting to get out of there and um, you just stay and in your bubble. Sentence. Yeah. And then you, and you stay in your bubble with uh, all of your friends who are in the same situation. 
And yeah, it's, it's a shame. But as you said, you know, it, it's scary and change is, is complicated and people don't accept difference. And so they stay with like-minded people and, uh, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So Do it's a different coming. When you first, is there any thing that you kind of say every time you go to a new country, is there anything, what's the process you go through? I mean, you've done five now. Like what, what's, What's your goal in the first, let's say, month? What What's some things that you say, I need to tick these things off to make sure that um, I set myself up for this next two years or whatever it is um, properly? So you're, am I working already or am I? Yeah, yeah. As soon as you're off. Well, obviously, the first part is to get your bearings. Uh, and it's where you're... Usually your HR department is very good. They are your first point of contact. And so they help you to um, find an agent or find an apartment. They help you to, to get settled. You might want to rent a car and uh, drive around. Drive around where you live, drive around where you work and try to understand the area. And then me, of course, as a foodie, <laughs> I will arrive and I will Google and four hours, um, the best restaurants in town. And I think we can make another entire separate episode on this whole thing of the best, because mm. what is the best? We, we are in a society now where we all think, always look at, okay, I want to buy new shoes. What are the best shoes? And what is the best computer? And what is the best pen to write with? But all of that is very biased, right? And, and subjective. Anyway, so I would try to find um, the best representation of the local cuisine in restaurants. Let's put it this way. And uh, I make a whole schedule of, of restaurants I need to try, markets I need to visit, uh, ask my colleagues what restaurants they recommend, what dish they like, uh, what do people usually eat around the area, so that I have an understanding of um, the, the produce and the origin of the produce. Because that's my job, right? It's FNB, so I need to understand the, the food culture around me and what's, what's, what's happening, what are people serving. Um, and apart... Very important also, and this is not related to work, but it has a huge influence, is get yourself settled in your apartment. Again, even if you're there for two years and you might think it's going to go quickly and I don't need to invest in buying stuff for my apartment because I'm not going to be there for long and then I need to travel and, and bring many more bags with me, blah, blah, blah. it's worth it. Make a home wherever you are. Buy nice china ware, if that's what makes you feel at home. Buy uh, flower vases and, and buy flowers, if that's what makes you feel comfortable. Buy a nice blanket. Um, buy nice towels for your bathroom, if that's uh, what makes you feel at home. Buy things that you're going to use. You're going to be at home every day, um, even if you're not going to be there for long hours. You're still going to come back home. And it's nicer to come back home after a hard day um, of 12, 2, 12, 13, 14, 15 hours of work. And you have a, a nice setup, a nice light, a nice decoration. It really changes your life. You get to, to recharge your batteries. And then you, you get to keep all of these nice things and move them around the world with you. And for those who are entering the industry, uh, don't worry. After Once you start reaching man, manage, managerial positions, management positions, uh, usually the, the move is included in your contract. You have a relocation uh, benefit. 
So people will come and pack your things and uh, move them and unpack them on the other end of the, of the rainbow. So don't uh, feel bad. Invest in things uh, that make you happy. I think that's very important. Build, build your home. Yep, I I, uh, I think that's uh, extremely important. I think I, I also agree with you uh, that discovery process, it, it's very easy to fall in the trap of going, you know, I'm new here, I need to hit the ground running and I'm going to work nonstop, make sure everyone sees me every day, that I'm eager and, you know, but uh, you need to know, you don't want to have, if you fall into that trap at the start, I can tell you two, three, four months down the track, you still haven't seen anything around you. You haven't tried the food yet. You literally have, it, it's best to start off slow, right? Uh, as any new manager, any new chef or any new one to anything, you want to sit back and observe anyway. You know, they always say spend the first two, three weeks uh, observing, seeing what's going on. Yes. And and start making those connections, start finding out where the local restaurants are the best places to eat, go on these discoveries, tie in, you know, integrate with the team and get to know your team and, you know, do those mingling things to get to know the culture better. Because I can tell you now, and and I Sebastian does this a lot better than I do, um, learning the language. Right. Helps a lot. It helps a lot, and it doesn't matter if you can't say it properly. the The local team will always appreciate the effort you've gone into, exactly, and, and uh, they're not knowing. And and you know, I I I as a chef, I always try and learn the basic things. So I learned to count. Counting is mm. usually a lot easier than a lot of people think it is. And making sentences um, for sure. Yeah, it's easy to count, and especially as a chef where you need to say, you know, five tomatoes, 20, 30 kilos, something like that. You can, you, learning to count in, in most languages, you have to remember the, you know, one to 10, and then uh, how to say 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever, and then kind of just join those in between numbers. And then you know, once you learn your what the 100 means and what, you know, 200 is, you, you just learn that. And it's not like learning sentences. And then, you know, basic things like the hello, the thank yous, um, and, and, and not try and, and actually make an effort. Like a lot of people try and say these words like it's a novelty as well, you know, and, and that mm. doesn't help the situation. Um, mm. But learn the language a little bit. Learn a few words because that would always, uh, always um, uh, help you in the long run. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and really spot on for you that, that you said, at least make the effort. Yeah. It doesn't matter if after two years, you can't say more than one to 10 and hello. It doesn't matter. You've tried and you've showed your team that you've tried to be part of them. And yeah. to end this, I wanted to say also, be part of the community. Yeah. Be part of the team, the community. If someone gets married, go to the wedding. If you're invited, obviously. But they will they will respect don't you do more. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Wedding crashes. Yeah. No. You wanted to wedding ask something. The weddings are probably one of the best places to engage and see a lot of culture. I've always enjoyed the weddings because um, you do get to engage and see what the culture is all about. Uh, very different. I was going to say to you, out of the five, mm -hmm. what's that? Which countries stand out the most? Wow, that's that's that's, that's, a, a, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. It's, like it's very hard, and they're all very different. And you in 
when you think back, you, you realize that you all get attached to each one of them for different reasons. Um, obviously, how things went at work is a big factor because, as I said, both things are related. If things go work well, um, if you've settled well and you're happy where you are, things will be happy at work. And if you are not settling and you are not liking your time in that country, it's not going to go well for you at work. It's I, I, I can't see how you could have a fantastic time at work and really not liking the country you're you're living in. Um, so I don't know. I I would say okay. Let's say that the the one country that has impacted me the least, I would say. And again, I don't want to sound harsh, but it's just that the one that I have the less. Um, and, and maybe it's, it's due to circumstance, and I won't explain why. Uh, it would be Vietnam. But the reason why is because I was living at the hotel. And I was living at the hotel for two years. And the first year I was not. I was living in the village. And that was much cooler, actually. I had a better time yeah, living in the village. Same. Yeah. With uh, So the, the story is that the, the development... In Mainga, yes, in the hotel yeah, yeah. Mainga. So to give a bit of a background very quickly, in Vietnam, in the project where both of us were working, uh, which was called Laguna Lanco, the, the village of Lanco was kind of a transit village. It was right smack uh, next to the one national highway between uh, the north and the south of Thailand. And actually, Lanco was one of the points right at the middle. And it was a trucker stop, to be honest. A trucker stopped during the, the, the rest of the year. In the summer, it was a resort destination for people from the north of Vietnam. Uh, so you, were, you had uh, in the city, along the main road, you had a lot of hotels, small hotels, uh, some from seven rooms to up to 20, 30 rooms. And they were all privately owned by families. And um, they all worked usually in the summer. So what we did at, at the hotel, because we had how many employees? More than seven, more than... 800 at some point? More than 800, yeah. Um, they were all housed, because they were from different parts of Vietnam, they were all housed in these hotels in Lanco Town. So Lanco Town, a big part of the population, was actually our team members and our colleagues. Exactly, there you go. And so I was living in one of these little hotels in the, um, in the first year. So, of course, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a local, family-owned hostel in a remote re region in Vietnam. So that gives you already a lot of indication on the, the standards of living. It was very simple, but I loved it. Um, the, t the hard times were winter where it was very cold and the AC was not an inverted AC, so you had no heating. Um, but you had the sea on the, on the right and the lagoon on the left. I mean, the views were amazing. You had a lot of little seafood restaurants on the lagoon that were serving clams and, and shells and seafood. Uh, you could have an, a, a breakfast consisting of an omelette, a warm uh, banh mi bread, like a, a small baguette, Vietnamese baguette. Um, you could have a yogurt, a whole, probably two, two Vietnamese coffees and an entire coconut for, for yourself, as well as a, a yogurt. And you would pay half a dollar. Yep. 13,000 dong. 
and I was and that was it and that was probably an amazing breakfast because it would be pouring rain outside and you're sitting there under these tin roofs in in swelteringly sweltering heat because it's hot but it's wet. Uh, it, it's really it was really cool, but uh, obviously it was it was work and. I had to take the, the shuttle bus in the morning to go to work and the shuttle bus back in the evening. So I didn't see much of the country. And then when I moved into the hotel, I saw much less. So I didn't see, I didn't get to see as much of Vietnam as I would love to, just because of that circumstance. So maybe that's why it's the country that I would say has impacted me the least, but it's it's purely due to circumstance and, and my, own, my own doing. Because when I wanted to, to go on holidays, I would go... Uh, to Singapore, or I would go outside to Cambodia. My brother was living in Cambodia at that time. So I didn't travel much within Vietnam. Yep. Um, I say, uh, for me, um, we, we have to be one thing. The staff accommodation is probably the best staff accommodation you'll ever have in your whole life, though. The where? The one in Vietnam? Yeah, oh, at the resort, never, never again, <laughs> never again. Will we get at the resort. So we we both same deal. We both lived. A, I only lived in the village for a month, um, in the handover process, and then I moved into the resort. And you know, we had uh, two bedroom, no, one bedroom with a pool. You know, your own private. Duplex. Yeah, duplex. duplex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and then I eventually moved into a two bedroom. Uh, apartment with a pool and uh, amazing, amazing uh, experience. Um, I always disliked Seychelles to take the trip. Ah, okay. Right. I found the Seychelles. It was, um, it, I went through a real wave of emotions while I was there. <laughs> the first three months I loved, the next three months I hated. Um, and then, you know, you tried, it, it, it was difficult. You're on an island. Um, so pretty much what Vietnam was for you. Um, you're on an island. Uh, I was a bit lazy as well. I couldn't really be bothered getting on a boat. I used to get a bit seasick, so I didn't really enjoy mm. doing the ocean crossing. And it was a proper ocean crossing from the island to the mainland. It was 45 minutes. Um, and uh, it was a very difficult place to, to be. And um, however... You know, I and and but you know, there were some great people there. I made some great friendships there. You know, from that side of it, it was great. But I never really discovered Seychelles. I only really discovered it in probably the last month because, mm. you know, I started getting out more, going to the mainland, and actually, um, we would stay on the mainland and you know, and and spend some money and get a hotel room. The, I mean, the problem was it wasn't designed. It, Seychelles is a hundred percent tourist-driven country, so to try and find a cheap accommodation, right, as a, like a local. It didn't exist. And then again, we weren't locals either because we, you know, they kind of considered like you could get a local rate, but you had to be a local local, not a person that worked on the country. So mm -hmm. uh, worked on worked in the country. Um, so I worked on an island called uh, La Breeze. Um, I'm trying to bring it up now. Um, and it, it was a amazing place. But again, it just really sucked it out of me. Hindsight. Um, I now think this whole COVID situation, um, if there's one thing I can say, it's uh, probably set me up to handle. That place had so many different 
we, you know, we had crisis all the time mm-hmm. because there were floods, you know, mm. the, there was tsunamis. We never got hit with a tsunami, but we had to be on tsunami alert. Um, and and it, it came, you know, it had a lot, a lot of different uh, uh, challenges. Um, you know, there were a couple of times we, uh, I, I remember, let's a presidential suite on the screen right now. Um, oh, there it is. That's the island. Um, there was a couple of times I remember um, the entire, you know, the, the water level rose. It rained for two days straight. And all of a sudden, uh, we just lost uh, an entire bridge. And I was actually standing on the bridge when it happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a, nearly a near-death experience. Um, we did lose uh, a couple of guests to drownings as well. So, um, unfortunately. And it, so, it really was... A diff, like you know, there was you, there was a lot of crisis management situations, and I kind of put you know where I didn't like it then. I now consider that was a lucky, that like I really learned a lot about how to stay calm in those situations, um, how to think a little bit differently, and you know until I would say. February, even March this year, I would have said, you know, I the Seychelles was probably where I gained the least in my mm. career because I think mm. Vietnam, I, I gained a lot. But now I consider Seychelles was one of the most important chapters of my travel, uh, you know, my time aboard. And those things I learned there have put me in an extremely comfortable position now um, to handle the current crisis that we're going through, you know. So uh, even though, like, you know, you could always um, find, re- you know, you might say, well, I didn't really enjoy it. And it was, it was like, okay, I didn't mind work, but it was a difficult place to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my uh, wife was not working, so she really didn't have a lot to do. And she says it now. She goes, you know, the time in Seychelles set me up for living in isolation. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Because you know you had nowhere to go, so. Um, but you know, you, you we did other things, things that I never thought I'd ever do, like uh, diving. Um, you're a dive master, aren't you? Yes. Well, not yes and no. I did the dive master certification. I was certified as a dive master, but the dive master is the first rank of professional diving. So you have to renew your license every year. Okay. And so since then, of course, I have not. Okay. Um, yeah, I learned diving. I learned, uh, you know, I probably enjoyed fishing a bit more and I learned to, um, you know, I enjoyed ocean swimming. So there was a lot of things um, I got. And if anything that I kind of now, uh, I've lost the excitement of seeing beaches now. <laughs> yeah. You know, after well, living in a bit. Yeah, after living in Seychelles and seeing this ocean every day for two years, then moving to Vietnam, where again we're living oceanfront for two and a half years. You know, people show me, oh, you could go to the beach, and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I've lost that. I enjoy cities because I haven't seen cities for a while. Uh, but you're right; it is very much what you make of it, and if you don't make a lot out of it, um, you know, it's it's uh, quite difficult. But no, what I mean to put things really on the, in a very simple way: if you're signing up to go and work abroad, you have no excuse. Go with the flow. Don't arrive there and say, ah, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Well, of course not. You did not know what to expect. 
So remember why you signed up. And if you signed up just to, to make a quick buck or to get a promotion, then that's, it's a bit short-sighted, uh, in my opinion. I mean, you must have your reasons why you want a promotion and everyone has his own reasons of doing things. But what I'm saying is if you have signed up to work abroad, then go with an open heart because you have chosen to go there. They have, you're a guest. So try to make the best of it. I agree. And I think um, it's extreme, It's important that you do uh, make the best of it because if you don't, it, it's, it's completely your loss completely your loss and um and and the worst thing you can do is um then go home and go back home and say know about it yeah exactly you know um you, you know i encourage it everyone i think everyone should if you get that opportunity go for it you know for sure um, it makes you a lot stronger and it gives you a lot broader picture on a lot of things uh, you, you, it, it can't be described the, the advantages. I mean, you, you get, you become a better person, a better yes. leader, a better, a better manager, uh, a better human being, uh, a better person. I, I encourage everyone to go abroad, get out of their comfort zones, and, and try to, to make it uh, somewhere else. It's, it's very, very important. And on the, on the flip side, also one angle we haven't discussed is, you arrive in certain hotels. The, and you arrive and you start working with teams, team members who have been in that hotel for 15 years. They know their job inside out and they're, they're locals. And they have seen 20 of you throughout the years. And you're not going to teach them their job because they know their job. And they've seen guys like you coming in and moaning about everything. And their attitude is going to be, oh, well, he's, he's going to be gone in two years. I don't need to listen to him. Why, uh, why should I make my life complicated? And they're right. But if you come uh, into a team like that uh, with an open mind and you try to share what the, and learn what they know and you teach them what you know, then you're part of a team and, and then great things can happen. But uh, sadly, there's many cases where they say, oh, well, another one. He's going to be here for two years. Let's hold on and... He'll be gone before long. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's a lot we can talk about this. I think it's uh, it's an interesting well, the, topic. These are the things that people usually don't talk about. Yeah. You don't hear this in, in hospitality classes. You don't hear this in um, even in discussions among among peers. You you don't discuss these things. And I think it's important because a lot of young people who are entering the industry are, don't know what to expect. And uh, a lot of them realize that, okay, what I learned at school is not the school of life. I can't apply what I've learned at school immediately. After you finish school, then you start school again. Yes. The school. The real life. school. The school yeah, of exactly. life. The school of life. Hotels well, are the school of life. Where did you? Where do you consider your probably your most uh, your favorite contract or favorite tour of duty? I really, I really enjoyed the UAE, but because I was young, I had not much responsibility, and you get to really enjoy um, working in a very diverse team, and it's a bit like the crazy years. You're still, you're still, you're fresh out of school. 
and and you make uh, friends who are your age and you party a lot and you you have fun at, at work and you have fun outside of work so those are like happy years but uh, professionally i would say thailand thailand has been pretty amazing very hard very challenging in many ways not because of the country but because of the 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 things i was i was confronted to and the situations i was put into um so i i really really enjoyed that i think i grew tremendously in thailand um and and morocco but morocco was apprenticeship i had grown up in morocco so it's it's a different scenario but i think thailand really stays very close to to, to my heart in, in both the country and and the, ex- the professional experience i had yep okay yeah i i probably say vietnam um mm-hmm. i uh I didn't mind living in the resort, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but also for me, uh, it was more, I guess it set me up to where I am today. You know, yeah. it kind of put a lot of pieces in motion and, mm-hmm. and a lot of the dominoes fell. And you kind of go, well, you know, uh, I always think it's like a fork in the road and you kind of go, well, did I take the right fork at that point? And I think uh, making that move to here was probably – definitely the right decision you know well I, I still remember days in vietnam where we would be driving around in in a buggy and we were thinking oh wouldn't it be cool if you could be the executive uh, the corporate executive chef one day and i could yeah. be in a, in a similar position and yeah, yeah. now uh, you're you're that you're that's the position you have so it's i think yeah. it's pretty amazing yeah, yeah. Um, i think vietnam for the both of us was a very human experience we were working with a team that was very young, very, very young. A lot of our team members were 18, 19, 20, 22. Uh, a lot of them had never worked in the hospitality industry or not worked in, in five-star hotels or not worked with hotels that have SOPs for that matter. And we, had, we got to, to help them become managers and leaders and supervisors and better versions of themselves. I mean, for me, that was really the takeaway of Vietnam. The, the human aspect was incredible. And we watched them grow. And we watched them grow. And they're still, they're still growing. Yep, 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 yep. Definitely. So that, that is really, really cool. Like for me, that's, that's uh, the biggest pride I can have is to see that my team members develop. Yep. We are, yeah, we are think- nothing... We definitely watched these guys, you know, they became from, you know, kids to families. And when you go back there now, when I go back there, because I still have to travel between the group, you know, all of a sudden they're married, they've got their own kids and, uh, you know, they're, they're gearing them up to start work at the hotel. So, <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, you know, because that place actually literally had first generation, well, second generation, I mean, generations of families working there. You had yeah. people met each other as cup you know they met each other there and now have got married and have kids okay that's not that strange in, in this industry but you know they happened a lot um and you had situations where you know mum and mum and dad worked there and the kids also worked there you know mm-hmm. um not a it, and that happened a lot as well so it was quite an unusual one well, unusual but a unique community it was amazing it was amazing vietnam amazing it was getting amazing, exactly. Well, Sebastian, thank you. Always a pleasure. Always Enjoy a pleasure. A week ahead. Yes. Well, it's the weekend tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. Is there a wet season over there? 
There is, and it starts, I've been told, August, September. It's quite short. Okay. It's getting, it's getting warmer and, and more humid. It's nowhere near Bangkok levels yet. Uh, for those who don't know, Heshan lives in Bangkok. Uh, I was there until mid-February this year, and I moved to Mexico, on the west coast of Mexico. It is um, 10 in the morning in Bangkok right now, and I'm guessing it's 10 at night in Mexico. It's 10 p.m. Friday night, yes. And it's 10 a.m. Saturday morning. So there is definitely a major time difference between where we are. <laughs> I will always, I mean, except um, very strange happenings, I will always be in, in the evenings. Yeah, it's and actually, I will always be in the morning. <laughs> enjoy the mu- Enjoy the week. I was going to say thank you. The mu- and have a good weekend. Send the jingle. Send the jingle. <laughs> thank you for listening. Thank you. See you soon.